Agency Life. I'm Clodagh Higgins, and today we have Rich from Six and Flow, Diamond HubSpot Agency from Manchester in the UK. Welcome to the show, Rich. Delighted to have you here. Thank you very much. You have worked in various different forms of marketing, design, technology for 18 years. You must have started when you were 12. <laughs> you had an academic startup founder and now you run a business that really, really excites you. Tell me more about the Six and Flow journey um, that you started on. Okay, so we, we started about, about four years ago. So mm -hmm. I, I was uh, leading an agency that was based uh, in Manchester as well. Um, and leading up to GDPR, uh, the agency owners had a, a data brokerage is how it started. And they, they, uh, they asked me to come in and help them turn it into a media agency. They saw GDPR coming on. They wanted to make the clients a bit stickier. Yeah. Um, and that was fine. We kind of built a team around that. And then it got to the point where um, so they, they wound down the data side and the directors came in uh, to be part of the same business. And it became very sales driven, very kind of looking for transactional clients. And then it just, there was a kind of friction between delivery, which is kind of where I was focused more. And then yeah. on the, um, the sales side. So I decided to kind of go out on my own. So uh, my wife was pregnant at the time. So I think that the timing was not oh, well perfect. played. Perfect yeah. time. <laughs> Loads of time on my hands. Um, <laughs> and so we, uh, so I, I made the, cha uh, the change to go into consultancy. Um, my first client was somebody I played rugby with and he was kind of very much, look, you're, you're telling us what to do. Why can't you just do it? And that, that evidently spiraled out into an agency, which is where we sit now. Yeah. Um, and, but the, for me, when we started the agency, the, well, when I started the agency, it was very much around, if I was going to be an agency, I wanted to be an agency that if I didn't own it, I'd want to work for it. And that's the whole way through our last kind of four years. That's been the underlying KPI. So we don't always get it right, but we do try. Yeah. That's amazing. I've had a very similar startup myself where I was getting asked to do consulting and then all of a sudden I went, okay, people were, it sort of happened that way more than an, an actual strategic plan around it. You have, uh, have nailed something that I know agency owners kind of almost don't realize until it's too late that this is a people's business. You know, you've really nailed some success factors there when it comes to the culture and you talk about the importance of a team culture. Can you talk about, like you said, I would love to work for this agency if you didn't own it. What, what are some of the things that you do when it comes to culture? So, so for me, um, so like cult culture is, is part of it and that's a big part of it. But the, for me, um, where one of the big drivers for me not wanting to be part of an agency anymore uh, of the um, the agency I was at was that I didn't feel like I had ownership over anything within the business. So I'm not, I mean, not in terms of had shares or anything like that, but ownership over like who I was working with, the clients we were working with, the processes we were using, things like that. It was very kind of top down. This is how we're going to use and not, not being able to make those decisions. And so one of the things that we've tried to do here is give ownership over um, like who we work with, the clients we work with and that kind of, so our recruitment process, for example, is it's all culture led. It's all based around the values that we have and all that kind of nice, the nice fluffy stuff that goes around it. And I say fluffy, I don't mean it's incredibly important to us as a business, but yeah. the, the process that we have, the last stage in that is we finish with a speed date. So whoever's joining our company will sit down and be interviewed by kind of six or seven people. Brilliant and, idea. Yeah. And that's, that works two ways. That means that 
um, my team get to go, okay, is this person somebody that we want to work with? And frankly, I don't really care what they ask them. And a lot of the questions, I mean, some of them will grill them and ask them some pretty heavy questions. And other people will be like, do you like cats or dogs? And I don't really care what they ask. I want to know whether or not they can have a conversation where they can spend time together. Um, but it also works for the person joining us because they, they can come in and go, okay, my first day, I've already met six people plus the management team who interviewed me. So I know who these agencies are. I can ask questions that I didn't want to ask the management team and get an understanding of what it's really like. Yeah. But to your point around kind of building it around culture, we, we started our whole kind of culture journey, if you want to call it that, when we were about six months old. There was only four of us in the company at that point. And we, we had a consultant who's a good friend of the company, um, and uh, never mind, obviously, um, and we worked with him on doing uh, like building out our, our core values. So uh, we built out and they were collectively um, thought out, not kind of prescribed as well, which was important to me because again, it's about having ownership over the kind of company we wanted to be. Yeah. And we, we, we came up with accountability, holistic thinking, playfulness and growth. And the playfulness, the playfulness is the one that I hung my hat on because that's, I want to work in an environment where I want to come to work and my academic background I was studying a PhD in play so a lot of that kind of playfulness oh, no and, uh, yeah it's, I, I didn't finish it I got bored of doing it but um, <laughs> that's an entirely another story it was too uh, much fun <laughs> yeah um well I don't know if you've ever done a PhD but if you start studying oh, no. something over and over it's the quickest way to, to ruin any enjoyment in it anyway <laughs> um so <laughs> So, but for, for us, the, the core value that um, kind of really drives everything for and that, that, I mean, growth for our clients. Absolutely. That kind of right. goes without saying, and I mean, growth for the agency. We want to be a growing company. We've never been happy, just sat on our hands, like just being who we are now. We want to progress. But for me, it's the growth for the individuals. So we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that um, the team are learning. We're trying to implement like learning lunches internally, yes. knowledge sharing, all that kind of stuff and making yeah. sure that they're growing as individuals. And um, I mean, I can't even count the amount of times that we have um, books delivered that I'm trying to kind of uh, introduce to the team and things like that. But it's, that's, that's why we base ourselves around core values because it kind of gives us that, that true North of yeah. where we want to go as a business and, and who we want to be. Yeah, because you can look at the skill set on somebody's resume, right? And you can see that uh, if they don't have the core values, they're never going to fit in. They can be the most qualified person, but it is around your team, especially if you build um, a team that's working together, has flexibility. This is such a dynamic business. It's not even the same business that it was last year. Uh, so really, if the core values are there and the team has the chemistry with them, you know that they're going to work together. Whatever yeah. they need exceptional training on or extra training on, you can build that in. But it's the, are they flexible? Do they have the chemistry? Are they going to fit in with everyone? Because they have the skills. We can see that. That's why they resume that got them the interview. Uh, love the idea of the speed dating. I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to nab that one. That's a really good one. Another thing that you talked about, as, that you t which I was really interested in learning more about, is making noise as an agency, which is one of your tips for future agents. And we'll talk about that at the end. So talk to me about making noise. So I think one of the things that we are very, very good at as an agency is making as much noise as possible. And by that, I mean brand presence. I mean, being involved in the communities that we're involved in, all right. of those kind of things. And just so we have and HubSpot has without a doubt. And like we we would say this 
over and over again is has been a pivotal part of our business and the help that and help and support that we've had from from our uh, cam who has been with us from day one so steve vaughan oh and yeah rock star i know well. he is you, you lucked at, you got very lucky there with him <laughs> the, the preacher of inbound of inbound and we um and we started off with Gronia O'Sullivan as our CC and then she kind of, she got promoted and then we got Robbie. So Robbie oh, McFarlane. Yeah, I know Robbie um, well, another rock star. Un- un- unfortunately, Robbie has now left us, RIP oh. Robbie, if you're listening. And, <laughs> um, and now we have Bertrand and Bertrand is great as well. So it's, but all of, those, all of those people have been like pivotal to every step of our journey, helping us outside of just obviously um, selling. Yeah. Um, but that, all of that stuff is around like we've used the HubSpot relationship as much as we can and in, in, in a nice way, obviously, but yes, um, yes. we, we, we do as much as we can for HubSpot. We, we um, kind of get involved with uh, beta testing and kind of yeah. helping co-market. We try and speak at the partner day events as much as we can, because yeah. my view on it is the more we can help HubSpot, the more HubSpot will help us. And the more that we do that, then the more leads we're going to get out of it and what kind of business we're going to get out of it. And we do the same with drift. So we have a very close relationship with drift and we use that relationship to drive forward everything that we're doing. Yeah. There, there are two very strong relationships that I've seen you talking about. So the noise comes with those partnerships and then getting involved going, we have drift, we have a, 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 a talk about conversational marketing and I can see drift branding in the background. It's that like security. What, what other partnerships do you, would you say to other agencies that are looking to start off and, and to make some noise? What other kind of things could you do? I love the local community stuff. I'm interested in that. Speaking of noise, the cleaner has just started the Hoover. Give me one second. <laughs> this is what happens. Do I pause the record? No. Sorry. I'm not <laughs> the recording. I was just talking. I was just going to fill in the air. I could do a little hold music song if I could sing. <laughs> well, I think it was perfectly timed with the whole how else do we make noise? Well, this, then, you know, while I'm doing a podcast is going to Hoover. Um, so, yeah, the, the other things that we do. So we we are like locally within Manchester. We we help may uh, like we. Um, host free events we mm. we get involved with um, local startup communities helping other businesses and actually i mean it, it harps back to the whole um, kind of inbound sales methodology just yeah. be as helpful as possible so when i say make noise i mean just just be involved and be as outward as possible and that's and and we've uh, so we've just done a podcast and we've what we've done from that is we've decided not to brand it yes uh, it's got a separate branding as Grow North that yeah. then sits beside our brand because I wasn't sure what direction we wanted to push it in. I didn't want it to be kind of stuck as a marketing agency's podcast because it's in, entirely around growth. Yeah. Look at um, Square Two Marketing right now. Now Square Two, you know, they've dropped yeah. the marketing. So you're right to have that. I noticed that as well, that it wasn't, um, it's about specific growth business. It wasn't hanging your hat on marketing, which is future thinking. It's very, very um forward thinking of you there which is a really good idea and then also with the events and being local I always encourage agencies to do to do this you might work globally you might not even have um businesses in your local area like I said I don't work with any Irish agencies right now but I live in Ireland it just happens to be the way it is but if you're an agency and you want to hire people locally being visible part of the chamber of commerce speaking of things being helpful 
being visible in the community is going to access that talent that you would like to attract on a local level. That, it's a different, it's a different uh, mindset when it comes to that. Yeah, super. Um, one of the questions... That's part, of, part of that whole kind of exposure. Yeah. So we're part of that whole exposure thing. So you, you're right. Like we are a member of the chamber. We joined the Federation of Small Businesses. We signed up to as many different things to get our logo in as many different places as we could. Yeah. And that's, that's a big part of like our initial kind of push as an agency. Yeah. And, and that's a long-term strategy as well. Okay. So there's maybe people not even thinking about it now, but you've, they go, Oh, I remember that guy I was talking two years ago and they've moved into a bigger role in a bigger company. It's a long-term strategy to have. I love it. Uh, one of the questions I had for you um, on the, uh, when, when we were talking before was about having an aha moment, like a, an aha moment that you had, that you shifted when you were starting that shift in your business from B2B tech and professional, you, were, you had a realization and uh, I'd love to hear more about that realization. Yeah. So when we started out as an agency, we originally started out in B, uh, high net worth B2C and we worked very heavily in the investment space and then various geopolitical events. So um, like Brexit vote going through, Trump getting elected, general elections, all sorts of things, regardless of your political standpoints. It's mm. very, it fluctuates the market so heavily that we ended up losing a few clients because they, they couldn't handle the, the fluctuation in the cost of leads and all sorts of things. So right. And, and it's, it's not a great market to be involved in. There's a lot of kind of, um, it's very cutthroat. It's very, there are some cowboys in the market to be avoided, like all sorts of stuff like that. So we took the decision as an agency to move back into, so we always had some B2B clients. We took the decision to focus on that area and yeah. build out our experience and that to be the base of the kind of business that we wanted to go after. And I mean, if you look at the partner directory, I swear every other agency talks about being B2B tech and professional services that is not a usp so there's and if you yeah. anybody who's ever been through the hubspot training it is find your niche go after these clients blah 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 blah. but we've never really subscribed to that because our niche our niche when and high net worth uh b2c wasn't even around a particular part of high net worth b2c it was around the entirety it was a around a um, customer type rather than the kind of companies uh, that we were servicing. Yeah. Then in B2B, so our, our aha moment was when we realized that, so inbound and Dan Tyre is very good at talking about this, but the inbound is just the cost of entry. So like it is the spine of our business. Most of our campaigns will have an inbound flavor to them. Yeah. But where we really started to jump up to the next level of retainer, the next level of client, so working into that enterprise space, was when we started doing account-based marketing and conversational marketing nice. as part of the overall mix. Mm. And that, that became our, our USP. So, and there's plenty of agencies that do those things, but it's, it's how we use them. And we've always, we've always talked about ourselves being a growth agency. Yeah. So from, from day dot, we've always said six and flow. And actually we, we rebranded, we used to be called grain. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, again, this is a product of when I, uh, started a business at the same time. My first kid was June. Uh, yeah. I didn't notice that there was another agency called grain creative and we had a cease and desist. And so we rebranded okay. effectively. <laughs> another side story. But anyway, wow. the, the, um, so we, um, so once we focused on those areas and we can play that whole growth messaging piece 
and we're not pigeonholed into just digital. So coming back to your point about square two dropping marketing, we mm. never wanted to call ourselves a digital agency because I wanted to bring in elements of PR events, like yeah. video, like all these other things that don't necessarily have to be digital and ABM. Some of our most successful ABM campaigns only touch digital. They are driven by non-digital. So that's where the whole growth story comes through. But our aha moment was realizing that actually inbound is is the spine and then it's the bits that we push around that are the, the things that drive the business yeah a, a great great realization to have and and you bring up another point there about the niche you know i think people have got stuck on a niche and they think industry or they think geographic but really a niche you know i encourage agencies to look at the personalities of the people that you liked working with you know they had the budget they were in an interesting industry they were proactive like if you look at that personality type going and getting those type of people it can be a niche for you or maybe they're you know rock climbers or they're athletes or something about them that has that extra that you like working with that person you know they have budget and they have the need for it but i think looking at a niche much wider than those two points is definitely something to do. It's really cool. I also can't stand the way that uh, the Americans in the HubSpot community refer to as a niche. Trust me, mad. <laughs> okay, this is a global <laughs> podcast, and we'd like to. Hello, American friend. Correcting. <laughs> it is niche, darlings. Niche, <laughs> not niche. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Now we're on to the grammar part of it. <laughs> so you've had a lot of highs, but there's been, you know, it's not all been smooth sailing. You talked to me about one of the mistakes that um, kind of we, we I, did, I do ask everyone because this is agency life. It's real life. You uh, were trying to acquire an agency and things didn't go the way they, you planned. Yeah. So um, we, so I remember, was it maybe two inbounds ago, something like that was talking about how they were pushing very heavily into um, the Shopify integration, how they could, uh, like they were pushing into the e-commerce market. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of piqued our interest. We're like, actually, maybe, maybe there's an area that where we can have a specialism or use that as a, an area to grow our business. Yeah. And that's so, and about uh, 12 months ago, I was having conversations with somebody I was quite close with in the Manchester uh, kind of community, the digital community, and he runs an e-commerce development agency. And there were some natural kind of synergies between the two agencies that were, um, well, on, on paper. So we felt that they could come in, be our development arm, help grow that side of the business. And then we could use our relationship with HubSpot to cement ourselves as being a, a e-commerce part of the HubSpot ecosystem. Right. And we, I think we probably looked at that with some rosy colored specs a few of the time uh, for a lot of it. And we, we didn't, we didn't integrate over a prolonged period of time. It was kind of, we smashed two agencies together pretty quickly and ours, our agency is culture driven and we put people through a process that is designed to make sure they're a good culture fit. And when you bring in six developers from an external entity that haven't been through that process in a very short space of time, I mean, it like if with hindsight, we're like, that was never going to work, but it's, we thankfully what we did in that process and like it's, Obviously, I have learned a lot from it, but it's uh, um, what we did do in that process. Thankfully, we did it in the right way is that we decided that we would have a, a six month 
cooling off period where let's try it for six months and then we'll legalize and we'll do the whole kind of shareholders agreements, all that kind of stuff. So we could back out of it, no harm, no foul. Um, but I mean, it was it, for both agencies, a lot of disruption over a short period of time. Um, a lot, a lot of, of things, to learn. a lot of energy, a lot of, um, concentration on the, on, on the stuff that we're good at all that kind of stuff. But what, what I have learned from that is like, we need to be very careful and guarded around our culture and how that is, how we um, put that out into market, how we bring people into that. We need to be aware of, um, uh, like, the the processes of other agencies that we're bringing in the the kind of the client format all of these things we needed to do more work around and i think that's over the last 12 months that's probably my biggest learning experience and thankfully both sides have been able to back out of it without too much um kind of lasting um harm or uh, anything like that but yeah that was that was my that was definitely a chalk up on the you really cocked that up (laughs) Congratulations. Can I say that on your podcast? Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'll put a I'll have to put a disclaimer on all yeah. of <laughs> Every every podcast has had some level of it. You know, I'm surprised I haven't with my Irish, <laughs> but I can somehow manage to behave myself. Um yeah, there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on right now, especially in the States. So really good things to take from that would be the cooling off period, but before the cooling off period your core values, their core values. Even if you ran a simple exercise, which I do with uh, in the entrepreneurial operating system, somebody could just go and look at the people analyzer, take your core values, take their core values and do that. Do they get it wanted and have the capacity? Yep. Even that in itself would give you some indication and then onboarding and then probably looking at that six month cooling off period. I really like that. That's a really good one. Yeah, it's, I, I think that, that was like, but because we had that, I think it put us in a position where we had a time frame that we were working to, which meant we weren't going to keep flogging a dead horse to try and get things because worst case scenario, we would have continued down that pathway. Things would have disintegrated. Parts of the business would have fallen across. It would have been too far into it where we couldn't unstitch the brands again. Like there would have been, it, it was just, it was good to have a, an out, but it was also good to have a benchmark of we're going to get to this point and then assess what, what we're doing and how it's gone. Yeah. And from a, just a tactical point of view, because a lot of agencies that I work with still haven't even got to the culture part or still haven't even acknowledged that the people and the management and the team needs a whole new level of work. So just on a, on a very tidbit sort of side of things, when you talk about culture, like what were some of the tactical things that you went, oh my God, they're not aligned. Like the simple things, maybe I'm going to, I'll throw one out there. Maybe I know you guys have dogs in the office. So do they, did somebody go, I'm allergic to dogs. I don't like dogs. <laughs> what were no. the kind of tactical things? <laughs> so, so my, t- and th- this is, this is my view on it and it's probably unfair, but I'm using it to kind of highlight the, the kind of the differences. But so, um, my team of the kind of, because we've always been a fast paced business and we've always been a kind of uh, like, like my, my mind jumps from side to side a lot. And I think my team are quite good at keeping pace with that. Mm-hmm. They will quite often roll with the punches, whereas the other side, not necessarily. And I think part of the biggest drain that we had was that we were spending more time operationally trying to appease some of the woes of some of the newer side than we were 
growing the business. And I think, wow. okay, it just, I mean, we were having arguments over about where the bins were positioned and where the water taps should go. Mm-hmm. Just, really important things. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, but what I have learned is it's the, the things that we, from a kind of an external position, you go, that's not important. And, but to the individuals involved, this is like, like life or death decision stuff. Wow. Okay. So that's a good thing to look out for just how do they handle day to day things? Because it is a fast paced business. It's going to completely change in the next year. People have to be open to that. And we need those people who are adaptable and able to stand up and stay standing and walk on these shifting sands and are not um, talking about, you know, holding you you back. I very much agree. That's a really good thing to look at. So, um, like I said, uh, one of the things you have in the office are dogs, Uh, probably a really good thing for culture, for calming down and probably a good thing to, to have. Is one of them yours? Yeah, so I have the uh, the big, tall, dopey Staffy. Okay. Um, and then <laughs> then we've got uh, we've also got a miniature Schnauzer, I think. And, yes, I saw that one. <laughs> and I think we're also about to have uh, one of one of our. So our head of design and development, Chris, is about to get a golden retriever as well. Mm, so. Super. So a lot of dogs, and then you said a lot of books. So one of the things that you do is is you read. So uh, because of your personal like daily habit of making sure you read and making sure you soak up this knowledge you're extending that into the office but how important is it for you to absorb this uh, reading material so so reading is one of the things that uh, in and i i think if my teenage self was hearing me say this it would be like what the hell are you doing but it's like reading for me is one of the the ways that i can uh, I get space to think about the stuff that we're like when I'm reading a, a business book, I can, I've got time to think about how I could imagine those things come into the business. It helps spur ideas. I mean, we don't, so you, you talked about EOS before, like we don't, we don't run EOS. We will at some point and we are like cherry picking. So like the GWC and all that kind of stuff, we're cherry picking the things that we want to bring in. But reading books like that or reading Sprint or reading um, like my, my favorite one at the moment that I'm like, I'm trying to force feed everybody in the office is to, is Radical Candor. So, oh, um, yeah. Love that one. yeah, and it's, it's going through books like that and going, that would be amazing in our business. If we could be more candid, if we could be more open with how we talk and all that kind of stuff. So reading for me is it, it, it gives me the ability to and look at what other people are doing and then imagine it within our business. And I think for me, that's the way that I personally grow most. And then podcasts and, um, and when I say reading, I mean, I quite often mean audiobooks because audible. Yeah. Yeah. it's brilliant. And the, the best thing about audio, Audible, and this is going to sound really crass, but I can stick it on one and a half times so I can get through a book even faster. And that's like, there's, <laughs> yes, I do enjoy the process of kind of listening and things like that, but it's also getting the knowledge in as fast as I can. And, yeah. um, but also not just business, but what well, is still a business book, but the shoe dog by Phil Knight oh, is one of, one of the best books. I've ever read. Today. Yeah. I've heard that's a really good book. What's, if you've what's not read it, you have to read it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I've got to get that. The, who was I talking to? I can't remember. Even today, I think somebody was telling me about it. So there's the sign. I think it's on my Kindle. I, as soon as I hear about the books, I download them and I eventually get to them. But Audible is definitely the way for, uh, especially and for any way in a well. Which one? Blinkist. So Blinkist, Blinkist is an app that enables you, it basically oh, yes. cheat, cheat notes for books. So like 15 minutes will describe an entire book. Now, the nice thing about that is you can pretty much try books and go is this the right book for me and then you can go and find the real version on audible or get it on your kindle or whatever so it's a nice way to get the principles of a book quite quickly and then 
decide if you want to dig into it. But that's my, my tip with reading is, is literally, and you're all adults, you don't need tips with reading, but like is have multiple books on at the same time because I, I get bored so quickly and I have, I have an audible that I'm listening to like one or two. And then I have like a couple of books. I have like a, a book that is like designed so that it helps me fall asleep at night. And then I've got a book that I'm reading because it's a business goal, all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's just, as many books as possible. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Cause to get it, to get it in, but we all do need tips on reading. I was, I, there isn't one picture of me from the age of five to 12 without a book. I was in front of a book for all of that time. And then in the last few years, I haven't been able to read a page without falling asleep. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's just something, but audible because of the journey up and down to Dublin, I'm able to absorb books way more than I was before. So a uh, big tip on that. And I love the one times fast, which is fabulous. Um, while we're on the subject of tips, you guffawed at my uh, question about how do you manage work-life balance? <laughs> how you were like, you don't, you know, I've, and I have spoken about this before going, we love what we do. There is no need to differentiate. But um, you, you said that this can cause some tension, especially at home, because you are all in and you are all working on it. But is there any advice you would give to somebody who's in your situation right now that you might have overcome? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I have any advice to give on that, because I think this is the thing uh, that I probably get or don't don't manage as best as I can so thankfully I have an extremely understanding wife Holly who is incredible and hopefully she'll hear this and I'll get brownie points for saying that but the she she is also an entrepreneur so she runs her own business so she she understands this I mean we have two young kids so it's it's difficult at best and we're kind of we're I think Holly understands that it's a kind of a labor of passion. Um, it's, it's, it's something that I'm incredibly driven to do, but also like there's, there's an element of building the, like, like I'm, I'm building something like, I mean, I would love it if in, 20 years my kids come and work for the agency and like right. it be a legacy or whatever yeah. you want to call it but I, I don't know I think I, I am terrible at this I am constantly on my phone if somebody emails me at night they will probably get a... <laughs> yeah you're always something that I am not good at so my my advice would be just don't do what I do <laughs> or if somebody's starting out on this, because I, I was just, I had an interview with Remington from um, Impulse Creative yep. last week. And, you know, he was saying that some agencies are trying, you know, to not acknowledge that, to just go, oh, I, I can treat it like a job. It is a lifestyle. It is an all in. So perhaps one of the things is you, it's lucky that you've got Holly, who's an incredible woman and very understanding wife and mother. So she, she understands, but sitting down, I think if, you know, we're talking about tips for new agencies is one of the things I want to ask you next. Well, that is one of the things, this is a big fat obligation. This isn't, I'm going to clock out nine to five. And especially so, when things go wrong, you know, you need to drop everything. We understand that as well. So what, yeah. what we do as an agency, so we don't, nobody in my agency will work nine till, uh, our official hours are nine till 5.30. And I think everybody does stuff around that. Like constantly people will respond to things in the evening. They will stay late sometimes. Yes. They will, it's, I mean, it's not something that we're encouraging. It's just sometimes it happens and some people come in early, things like that. And to mitigate that for them or to kind of balance that out, we have unlimited holiday. Amazing. So, yeah. So you can like, and that's kind of uh, like we we trust you to not take the piss on it. So you yeah. nobody takes more than like a few days over the normal allowance would be anyway. But 
what that does is it balances out the effort that they're putting in. So, and that's important because again, it comes down to that whole ownership thing. If they're giving up time, so should we. Yes. And and then they're, they're more holistic in their thoughts about this going, Oh no, it's after five. I've got to go. Like, you know, they're, they're thinking about, I'll do this now because it's about getting the results for the client. That's a client centric, which is all linked to everything that you're doing there. Um, as we kind of get to towards the end here, apart from, I know I've noticed you on drift. I've noticed you do the conversational marketing. What else are you excited about that's coming out in the next year? Like where, where do you see the big opportunities for agencies? So for me, and it's, it's not new. I just think it's becoming more front and center for um, clients now is the, the, the crossover between sales and marketing. Right. Like I, I, yeah. I hate, hate using the term marketing. Oh, marketing, please, make Rich. Cringe. Please, marketing. Is- <laughs> um, awesome. But, Can't but wait it's to use it. <laughs> it's, it, it's that. The, that's probably the fastest growing part of our business. Like we right. com- conversational and ABM is all part of that, but it's, it's, if we, if we help a client deliver a thousand leads and they don't sell any of them because they fall down at some part of the process, we're going to get fired as an agency. So for yeah. us, it's, and the whole reason that we use HubSpot with clients is so we have that end to end overview of what's going on and we can start to influence it. So it's, we're now, doing more and more and more on the the kind of sales alignment sales enablement looking at other tools that we can stitch into the back of it so we um, are using costello with a few clients and actually bringing that into the process um we're looking at where conversational marketing fits into conversational sales and conversational support hubspot has obviously got the the flywheel which is a diagram i'm sick of seeing now but like it's (laughs) there's it's it's an understanding in the market not just from the marketers now there's an understanding in the market a market that it's not just about marketing and marketing isn't in a silo from sales there's no i mean i i i would say that if i walked into a client and said i would be shocked if i walked into a client and said give me a complete definition of where marketing ends and sales starts and nobody in that room will have a coherent kind of explanation for that. So obviously as marketers, well, we're not even marketers anymore. We're helping clients grow. Um, but, and that's like, we have to be working across that. And so for us, that's where we're seeing most of our traction now. Yeah. It's almost like the realization, all that work of inbound has, has given them results, but the sales has not followed through in the way because there was some assumptions made there that they had a sales process. <laughs> Yeah. And and we have to go in now talking from that ground up going, what happens if I do increase your leads by a thousand next month? First first time we ever ran an ABM campaign for a client, it fell on its ass because the marketing worked. We had all these really nice nurtured leads. They were dropped on the sales team's feet. We'd given the sales team kind of like the prompts of what they should do in these stages. And they just sat on them like, like they were a brokered and dated list. Just and looked at them. Oh. It didn't sell any of it. And obviously the campaign was doomed to failure because we didn't, we didn't, and it's as much of a failing on our part as their part because we hadn't, we'd expected the salespeople to be able to react in the way that we thought they would. Yeah. And they didn't. Yeah. Like, well, because we know as salespeople, we're going, if you're given a lead, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? and, and, and even in the last few years, our time yeah. time has been, you get the lead, I'm going to call them in five minutes. Whereas you give that SLA or that, that 
you know, time to a, a traditional salesperson, they go, oh, sure, I'll get round to it at the end of the week when I'm in the office. And you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's another one good one, uh, a really good piece of advice is to go in the door now and go, yes, this is what you need for marketing, but what is going to happen when we get those leads and increase your visitors, increase the quality? What is the sales process? Even a simple question like that, who follows up and when? How quick do they follow up? That will open up a whole uh, ream of conversation. Pick, pick a champion as well. So what nice. we, the, the best way to get it into a sales team is to make one member of that sales team look like a rock star oh. because they have all the leads coming in. That, and this is, this is the best approach with conversational marketing because if you get one guy in there selling or one girl, one guy, whatever, yeah. selling and they are getting hot leads come in that it's reducing their um, sales cycle. So they're selling them faster. They're selling more of it. And they are just, everybody else is going, I want in, I want it in. And once you have that champion, it's so much easier to roll it out because people are more willing to kind of roll with the punches of this new technology because they've seen somebody achieve with it. it. Yeah. Somebody they know, somebody they trust and someone inside yeah. the organization who's experiencing the same things as them. Love that tip. That's a really good one. So while we're on the tips and we, we're going to wrap up soon, um, there are new age. Imagine there's somebody out there today. They've just bought maybe HubSpot or they're signing up with Drifter. They're starting out on this new world of, you know, the partnerships. Uh, you did give the advice on, on, you know, making some noise. We've talked about the local community getting involved. But from a personal level, what would you say to that agency that's starting out today? God love them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. No. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's... It, this is, uh, it, it's been a wild ride so far, but it's been, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. What I would suggest is, so one of the things that looking back at it, uh, if I were to do it again, yeah. I would bring on a dedicated salesperson sooner. And part yeah. of that is, so I, I was always very, because of the environment I'd come out of, I was very anti having a seller in the business. Right. Um, and because I didn't want somebody who was going to be money hungry, kind of that, because it's, it's, it's not me. I'm not financially focused. Like it's not, it's not what I'm after. I like money. I like being able to buy nice things, but it's not what makes me want to do my job. Yeah. So the bringing in a, somebody who can sell changes the dynamic because it means that I can then focus on the stuff that I'm good at. I don't have to split my time. And once you've got leads and sales coming through, it becomes a lot easier to build the rest of the business. 100%. That, that, I mean, without clients, you've got nothing. So get the clients. And then I know this is obviously, I hope clients don't hear this, but I mean, at some point you're going to be selling something that you may or may not have. But as an agency now, you have options to, you. there are other agencies who will white label for you. You can outsource certain things. You can bring in contractors. There are ways to put in capacity very, very quickly. Yeah. So sell it sell it get somebody in um to do that stuff for you and then i think think about like the team growth making sure that you've got a blueprint of how who and how you should be recruiting because that's important you are as an agency regardless of how big you want to grow you are going to bring bums on seats at a certain point and you want to make sure they're the right people because these people are representing you as an agency and it's it's a lot harder to get rid of somebody than it is to bring on somebody so just make sure you're bringing on the right people yeah an always hiring approach is the way to go just having a steady stream of videos yep. where people are sending a video to go i'd love to work for six and flow because and a steady along with that their resume if you have a steady stream of that coming in all day every day with the types of roles that are on there that's going to serve you well and just a quick note back on the sales side of things 
100%. When you start out as the owner of the business, you are going to have to go in and sell. But as soon as you get to a point where you can take yourself out of it, it is vital because what happens is the client thinks that they are getting you. No matter what you tell them, no matter how you say, no, no, my team's going to deliver. They just have this perception. And as the owner of the business, we all know you can get emotional about a sale and you start to discount or you start to make promises that perhaps you shouldn't have made. Whereas a salesperson has a job and a remit and there's, they're different about it. It's not their business. They're not as emotional. So that is my number one tip. If you can get out of the sales process. And I usually give them a list of like 15 other things that you can be doing <laughs> as an agency owner to try and incentivize it. <laughs> um, but that's been great. Well, look at, uh, you know, Rich, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much. We've tried Pleasure. to do this a few times. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've absolutely loads on your plate. Uh, you know, mentioned the podcast there. It, I just want to mention that to everyone. That's where you can find you when you're talking about Grow North. And what, how else can everyone find you what what way would you like people to find you and who would you like to find any you? any channel that uh, you see fit so i'm on on twitter uh, rich t wood and i'm on instagram rich t wood um on on twitter and uh, on on instagram it's more kind of photos of kids and stuff like that or my yeah. kids obviously but um but oh, you're good. welcome <laughs> to reach out um on uh linkedin you'll be able to find me um richard wood and my email is rich at six Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. This has been Agency Life with Rich from Six and Flow. Good day. Uh-huh.